And it was really interesting because the only, I think the only alien movie uh, my wife's seen, she's, she said she's seen Alien. I think she's seen Aliens. I think I'm, I've definitely shown her Aliens. But anyway, Aliens is on right now. And she was, she was looking at it. And she's like, is this a sequel to Prometheus? And, and then you were like, technically, yes. Yes, But I want to punch you for that comment anyhow. They smell bad on the outside. Uh, not the podcast you need, but the podcast you deserve. That's a that's a dark judgment on your uh, listenership. Hey, I'm down like 30 subscribers this month. Screw oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing people right and left. Screw the people that stay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm Scott. I'm David. And we this got David a... back, like, twice hey. in one year. How did that happen? <laughs> a little bit of witchcraft, a little bit of, little bit of sorcery, a little bit of bribery. Mostly bribery. Mostly. Entirely, entirely bribery. <laughs> I'll uh, forward you my rates for next year. All right, will do. All right. So, uh, pick of the week. And I, I guess I transitioned, so David can pick. <laughs> I... <laughs> what? No, no we... You should have been recording that entire conversation we had before you hit record. Where I oh, it's you. almost like I do that and then save oh, it for later. Well then, well then uh, cut to oh man, what what have I been picking on this week? What about what what what's been bringing me joy? Um, I've seen a Minecraft updated, but I can't log into the server, so that's not. Um, oh, here's a here's a timely pick of the week. Uh, Bubblegum Crisis Blu-ray just started on Kickstarter. And it's probably already funded now. Um, it was only half funded when I checked. Yeah, that's in 24 months. hours, so it's funded. That's true. Um, but still, it, it's a good deal. Uh, it's uh, $50 for everything Bubblegum Crisis. Not Bubblegum Crash, not anything like after that. Not 2040. Not 2040. Um, although that's on uh, Netflix now, which is kind of nice. Um, 2040 is okay. I think you get uh you get all the shows, you get uh some of the weird like music video stuff that they did. They're throwing in uh, some bonus weirdness. Yeah, all the Hurricane Live animated music videos and the holiday in Bali live action video on two region free Blu-ray discs. And and then there's gonna be additional uh extras available for download. And at the lower uh donation tiers, uh you can also have access to that. Stuff like line art and uh, high resolution artwork. So, yeah, that's a cool thing. That's, that's a cool good thing. thing. Um, other uh, Japanese cartoon news: uh, Space Dandy is going to be on Adult Swim before Japanese television. I know that's had, like it's only by like a few hours, but still. Sure, has that ever happened before? Once, Eight Man. <laughs> I see why it hasn't been repeated. Yeah. 
nothing like that seminal success eight man <laughs> yeah remember all the eight man t-shirts those kids were wearing the eight man trading cards we all had <laughs> oh boy i couldn't go anywhere without my eight man branded uh i didn't i didn't own in things as a child i was horribly poor so also uh, eight man aired in like the 40s <laughs> the 40s uh, or the late 50s early 60s Wait, we're thinking of a different eight man, aren't we? You're thinking of the eight man OAVs from the eighties, aren't you? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking you're, of. You're thinking of Eight Man after the horribly shitty sequel that actually yeah. had nothing to do with Eight Man. This is Eight Man with an eight, not Eight Man with an Devour. Yeah. Tobor the Eight Man. Okay. Yeah, Tobor the Eight Man. Oh. No, I was thinking of Eight Man, the man who uh, I believe gains the abilities of whatever he eats. Uh, yeah. Holy that's... shit. Okay, yeah, no, that makes a lot more sense. Um, <laughs> Eight Man was, uh, that's not a Tezuka thingy, isn't it? No, no, no. No, no it's, it's not a Tezuka. I think it was a guy he worked with, though. Yeah. Like, it was, has... it was a couple awesome. of Astro Boy staffers who were like, we could do a robot animation show for a different TV network in Japan. <laughs> sure. Now that we've oh. learned how. Eight Man. Is a manga and anime superhero created in 1963 by science fiction writer Kazumasa Hirai and manga artist Jiro Kuwata. He is considered Japan's earliest cyborg superhero, predating even Kamen Rider. The same year, Shotaro Ishimori created Cyborg 009 and was supposedly the ro- inspiration for RoboCop. Well, so I guess, I guess in a in a roundabout way, everybody did have Eight Man uh, lunch pails and. Uh, t-shirts just just robocop just never RoboCop. see robocop just think a little about eight man there's a pre oh my god have you have you ever heard the opening theme song yes it's genius it's amazing there's a prehistoric monster that came from outer space created by the martians to destroy the human race the fbi is helpless it's 20 stories tall what can we do who can we call call tobor the eighth man Call Tobor the Eighth Man. Faster than a rocket, quicker than a jet. He's the mighty robot. He's the one to get. Call Tobor the Eighth Man. Quick! Call Tobor the mightiest robot of them all. Oh my gosh. Wow, that's that's fantastic. Ah. So, um, so I guess those are my picks. I'll I'll probably like five minutes into what you're talking about, interject with another thing I've been geeking on. Alright. Um I've been watching a lot of QI on Hulu. That just got added to uh, to Hulu, and I've been watching a lot of QI. I guess I just kind of inverted what I what I said there, but it's really good. It's really fantastic. They uh, there's a Christmas episode I just watched where uh, Brian Blessed is one of the panelists, and he tells a story about how he charmed a wolf by kissing it on the nose and singing it a love song. And if Brian Blessed did says that's true, then it probably actually happened. <laughs> Look, the truth doesn't sound as good as Brian Blessed. Um, <laughs> I mean, God may or may not have seen some big worms, but you know what? When Brian West Blessed said he has seen, has said he has seen bigger. You trust Brian Blessed? I trust Brian Blessed. Um, when uh, Gordon was alive, you know what? What? Why he was alive? It wasn't because of his own strength <laughs> and ability to grip. It was because he was proclaimed so by <laughs> Brian Blessed. Yes, because remember. His theme song was playing, and Flash Gordon's theme song only plays when he's getting his ass kicked. It's true. Brian Blessed counteracted the theme song. (laughs) With just one phrase. 
but they're they're really fantastic. Uh, if you're not familiar with QI, it's a British uh, game show hosted by Stephen Fry, in which he asks a panelist uh, a panel of usually just British comedians. Occasionally, uh, there's some intellectuals also sort of interspersed. Um, only the ones that can pass a screen test. <laughs> yes. Once uh, John Hodgman was a guest. Um, uh, once uh, Greg Proops was. But it's really, really good. Uh, it usually gets a little, a little ribald. Um, but there's always like, like the goal of the show is to stay in inter- And what's great is that he'll ask them these questions and there's a very arcane scoring mechanic going on. It's a very, it's uh, usually the winner is the one with a positive score. Uh, I've seen games where the winner had one point and the loser had negative 40 points. Um, so it's, it goes all over the place, but people are scored not, not by if they get the answer correct, although that does give uh, uh, a certain point value that you never see or can understand, uh, but also on how interesting their answers are, be it a joke or an interesting uh, anecdote or just sort of going off on their lonesome into some strange corner of the English language. Um, but no, it's, it's great. Things I learned, uh, were that the, uh, the, uh, 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 uh we get the word stereotype from an ancient, from an, uh, a very old kind of printing press where the blocks were, uh, these solid blocks and the Greek word was stereo. So each one of the little block characters were called stereotypes. And this, uh, 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 when you would, uh, press down on the stereotypes, you had, there was a metal bar in the print. And so you push that down and make it sort of a, a swishing sound and a clicking sound at the end. And so it, it would uh, uh, go. Or, as the French said, they invented an onomatopoeia sound effect for it, kind of like a bark or a woof. And the sound for that was cliche. So that's right. Every time you use a stereotype, you make a cliche. There we go. There we go. So that's, that's my pick of the week. All right, so my pick of the week is going to uh, a little animation thing called Silver Spoon, which is um, sadly only an 11-episode show based on uh, a manga from the creator of Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, yeah! And to follow up on an an epic shonen series of magic and punching dudes and manly men and hot women, uh, she wrote a story about a middle schooler who moves to Hokkaido to avoid his family troubles, and... uh, you know, comes of age while raising pigs. <laughs> Aw. Uh, she was, uh, uh, that manga, what, what's her name? Hiromo, um, Hiromu Arakawa. Yeah, Arakawa. She was born on a farm, wasn't she? She, she like, uh, uh grew like up she, in the country. She's from Hokkaido, and, uh, she was, like, a, and she was a farmhand, uh, out of high school for a while before she sort of cracked the drawing. Oh, wow. So, that, that's basically all life experience there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she had to skin a bear at some point. I've heard some really good things about that show. Uh, like it is a very good show. Like it, despite being sort of the the country mouse and city mouse scenario, it doesn't sort of it doesn't go all Doc Hollywood about it. Where it's like, oh yes, small town life is the best, and now it's like, yeah, life is just life. It's rough everywhere. Sure. So it's 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 more kind of a kind of a sitcom show. Uh. It's a it, it's a coming of age story. There's some it, it's comedic. Like there's this whole thing where they have to. Uh, uh, th- there is an episode that's kind of regular showy in that um, he had they have to sneak out of the dorm, spot a new tractor that's coming across uh, the highway. Holy cats! This lady is fat. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, they, they have to sneak out of uh, the dorm to spot a tractor, and it's, it, it is a regular show episode where they, like, they're running around and throwing each other things, and, like, at one point, one guy's, like, throwing baseballs to the police dogs that have blocked off the road to, so they can oh sneak gosh. past. And, of course, uh, the, the city boy thinks they're actually trying to spot aliens. <laughs> sure, sure. Because of so, a misunderstanding so, earlier. So I'm looking through pictures of this show on uh, Google Image Search, and I am seeing a darling pig, just the darlingest little pig. Tell me about this darling little pig. Well, that that is Pork Bowl. Pork uh, Bowl! Oh. He, he's the runt of the litter, and uh, because he's new to farming, and he's in his first uh, practicum course is uh, in the pig pen, or his second one's in the pig pen, his first was in the chicken coop. But he, his, his second one is in the pig pen, and he's like, oh man, I feel bad for the runty one. Well, it's just the way the pecking order goes. Like, you, you can't really force him to move higher up, move to the higher teats. And it's like, but he's so little and darling, and I want him to get big. So, and it's like, so, I, I'm, well, we just call him, what, what's his name? Well, we just call him number eight. Oh, that, that's stupid. You should give him a real name. It's like, and then he calls him Pork Bowl, and it's like, you dumbass, you named the pig. It's going to make it really hard to kill in three months. Oh. And then he bonds with the pig and, you know, stays up late making, you know, giving it special food so it'll actually make the grade. And then, you know, he buys all the pig's all the, all of the meat of that pig. Spoiler. And makes bacon. Like that, that, that's his whole trial is can he, you know, still eat meat knowing now that he is emotionally attached to a pig. Wait, so they kill pork bull? Yeah, they they send him off to be slaughtered. No, but he's so cute. I know he's cute. And do you That's know what happens? No, do you know what happens next? No. Uh, I will tell you. Uh, they get a new litter of piglets, and he names them all. No. <laughs> like it's like, did you learn your lesson, Hachi? Nope. That one's cutlet. That one's tonkatsu. <laughs> this one's bacon. <laughs> oh no. I so I was getting my wife has a uh, uh, has a predilection for adorable animals, especially for cute little pigs. Um, Gravity Falls has been an instant connection with her because of uh, Waddles, the chubby little pig. So when I saw this cute little pig, what I thought was, oh, this is an instant in. Of course, this will be a great show I can show her. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> they killed a pig. Oh God, that's. Well, the that's first gonna, episode like opens with him running through the farm chasing uh, a baby cow, and uh, uh, before he can catch it, he suddenly sees like some of the third years slaughtering chickens. It's like, sup, still bloody, neck still bleeding. Yeah. Well, I'll try and check that out on my own time then. Um, is that uh, is that on your on the Crunchy Rolls and the Hulus? It is on the Crunchy Rolls and the Dicekeys. Oh, nice. I just I don't see how you could eat anything with cute little eyelashes. Well, it gets really big and less cute. Oh, well, that that helps. I can I can not care about cute things or not cute things. But so that sounds that, that that show sounds delightful. It is. It is a good show. <laughs> like there's an episode where they go to a horse race, and he's like, "Man, this is the most slowest, most boring horse race ever. What's going on?" And the horses actually get to him, and it's like an uphill draft horse race, so they're all carrying a half ton. Like, oh. oh, sure. Oh my gosh. But yeah, okay. So um, our main topic for today is uh, Super Gods, which is an interesting little book. 
I say little, it's like 500 pages, of uh, by uh, Grant Morrison, which is part history of comics, part um, Grant Morrison's autobiography through the lens of his comic reading and then writing, and part just uh, utter madness. Yeah, that's mostly madness. Um... There, there, there is madness throughout. Like, he will have uh, full stops to explain, you know to kind of pontificate about um, the, the power of the human imagination. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so like, here's the thing, is that um, I came to, uh, I read uh, Super Gods uh, kind of in a soul-searching period, right after Man of Steel came out. Yeah. Um, because I, 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 felt, I felt a little, uh, little let down by that movie, a little violated, um, a little enraged by that movie. Um, and, uh, so I read Super Gods, uh, hoping that I could find, like, well, basically, after Su- uh, uh, Man of Steel came out, a lot of really good journalism about, you know, what makes good comics, what makes a good character, what like makes these characters interesting. Like, it was a good for essays and conversations. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it got my mind thinking about all sorts of different comic uh, uh, criticism. Uh, and Super Gods had come out. It, it's, it's, it's a two, three-year-old movie or uh, book at this point. And I uh, I picked it up and uh, I actually listened to to it on audiobook. Um, although I uh, leafed through, I read about half of it in a uh, in a Barnes and Noble one day, and that's when I decided that I was going to go for it. Um, and it's really interesting because, uh, like you said, it's it's part it's part just the history of comic. It's part uh, Grant Morrison's theory on what makes certain characters who they are. Uh, it's part his own biography as he uh, grew and became a comic book creator. And at a certain point, his life as a fan uh, uh, intersects with comic book history. And it's sort of a, for a lot of people, I would say that that's kind of self-serving, but, and even in this, it's a little, it's a, uh, uh, I think he does kind of overstate a little bit of his importance, but he's Grant Morrison, like. Well, he 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 blows Vertigo Vertigo's power a little out of the water. Yeah. But then again, it's like it's Vertigo. Those people are all his friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, um, Vertigo was basically just DC Scotland mm-hmm. for a couple of years. But while he's de- uh, uh, detailing his life, it also turns into a travelogue, a drugologue, where he uh, uh, talks about the various substances he re- he uh, uh, intook and their effects upon his person, and kind of a low-level book of magic. So it's a it's it's a it's a pungent potpourri of uh, uh, various topics, all sort of intersecting into a Grant Morrison and an E mix, um, which is great. Because um, like I've read, I you know I, I read those comics. I've 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 read my my share of Grant Morrison stuff, and I've. I have at some points thought, what was this guy smoking when he wrote this? And now I know. He's written the book to tell me. Yes. He, I, I think he got tired of answering that question. It's just like, okay, this is what I was on when I wrote this. And then I got clean for a mu- few months and wrote this. Mm-hmm. So I guess I was on withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> then I switched to this thing. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a good read, though. It's, it's, it's always interesting, whatever the hell he's saying. And I don't agree with him in a lot of uh in a lot of places um and i think we'll 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 probably get into his uh his actual like topics at a certain point but he's a good writer like grant morrison is a great writer and 
there's a certain audaciousness to the to the prose that's really enjoyable. And so even even when I think, oh, Grant Morrison, just shut up. You don't know what you're saying. Like he he doesn't know what he's saying, but he doesn't know. But he knows how to say what he's not. I don't know what I'm saying right now, actually. Um, but, you know, he, he's very eloquent with the crazy things that he's spouting out. Uh, there's a there's a line like a lot of the book can be summarized in this one passage where he starts talking about Batman. I don't have it in front of me, but I, I've thought about it enough that I can paraphrase to, you know, Batman was, is the uh, the Dionysian Satan to Superman's Apollonian Christ, the uh, the stones to his beetles. And he could get uh, fucked up on cocaine and not have a hangover in the morning. Batman was cool. And like that's that's the whole book is he's hitting it from a pseudo mythological level, from a pop culture level and from a weird mystical level. And uh, it's 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 interesting the places he goes. Yeah. And I, I guess the one thing I kind of want to start with is it is a damn shame that he is not writing the Flash books. Oh, yeah. Like based on his what what he has to say about the Flash in that chapter. It's like, fuck. I would read The Flash if this was what it was like. Screw you, Jeff Johns. Mm-hmm. Just screw Jeff Johns in jail. He's not a cool guy. Well, yeah. Why does he get to write half the DC books? Because he's co-publishing. Because he made them more money with Green Lantern than any other book they're publishing. I know. <sighs> I'm sorry, the literal answer is kind of depressing. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so... I thought there was going to... Uh, no. It's going to continue. No, something that. was no. going to go from there. You know what? No. Uh, l- let's start with what he has to say from Superman. Okay. I'm going to lead off with the, per- probably my favorite quote from the book is, uh, before it was a bomb, the bomb was an idea. Superman, however, was a faster, stronger, better idea. And yeah. That, and that and that is Superman to him. And really, that that's sort of the best the best way to come at Superman. Is that he, he's not he's not a boy scout. It's uh, the absolute freedom from everything that sucks about being human, and then still being a really nice guy about it. As he's talking about Superman, he keeps falling into that old trap of well, he's not human. He's Superman, and uh, uh, that that whole uh, superheroes are the new are, are the new gods that replace the old Greek gods that we don't worship anymore. I mean, for God's sake, he, he names it super gods, like yeah, and he believes it, like. A lot of people just say that pithily because they're like, oh, well... Uh, it's the modern mythology, of course. Yeah. Superman's strong and wears a cape. I guess he's like Hercules. Um, and that's that's a false dichotomy. But uh, at least Grant Morrison is like pouring a lot of thought into these. And he's bringing in a lot of, uh, a lot of mysticism, a lot of, you know, Egyptians on gods and stuff like that. Um, he keeps calling uh, Superman a sun god from Kansas. Um, but I think that I think what Grant Morrison does nail about Superman is the inspirational quality of the character. Um, and I think that's, uh, I mean, I love all-star Superman. Great book. It's a, yeah, it's a great comic. And I think that his like reading, uh, if, if nothing else, reading, reading super gods elaborates the almost everything that he does inside of all-star Superman, because there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of references that, only Grant Morrison is going to understand. And this kind of decodes a lot of it. Uh, Like he talks about, um, at one point he talks about, I I think uh, um, 
eating mushrooms in Nepal and being visited by these silvery beings who show him the vibrational uh, waves that make the entire universe. And, uh, but at like one point he sees like the perfect being and it's this gold creature that's living inside of the sun. And that's how he ends all-star Superman is with Superman fixed living inside the sun, fixing it and the powers of the sun turning him gold. Um, so there's, and like, it's, it's really interesting to see, Oh, this is this, Thing that happened to him in his life and he worked really hard to plug it in somewhere with this thing that he loves and draws inspiration from and i think that he uh, uh in all-star superman uh there there is that definite aspirational quality to the character like like the very best page the single best page of uh, of any superman comic is the one where he stops that girl from jumping off of uh the building and it's just like six panels he just shows the girls about to jump then superman's there then he tells her the truth and she's okay. Um, and it's, it's, it's beautiful and perfect. And, but then there's like a lot of also very aloof qualities to his Superman where he, he is like this crazy God who, who knows everything and can do everything. Uh, he, he, he's just, you know, just in my lab, smashing together a sun. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I feed it to this month. I keep, I feed it to this space monster. I keep in a jar. That's great. Now, to be fair, that's great. But like uh, when he it's like, I don't know if a world can survive without a Superman. I guess I'll just make one. And then he makes a planet where Superman wasn't there. And spoilers, it's ours. Um, Like at that point, I'm getting a like I get a little uh, I get a little turned off of the character because it's it's going that's going to, I think, a level that I can't connect to. But I think that the idea that Superman uh, uh, is this inspirational figure that you can ask yourself, what would Superman do? And you can live a better life by that. Um, I think that's good. And I think that of his many points, you can point at Superman and say that this character has had a positive influence on culture, on uh, the people that have read comics. It's, you know, without Superman, there aren't, there are a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's no super, there's no Batman, there's no Spider-Man, there's no... The entire like, realm of like characters. Pop culture that... is less for it. Mm-hmm. But it's... Uh, uh, he's right that... Uh, and I, I, I think that he's very hopeful when he talks about Superman, too. I mean, uh, you know, comparing Superman to, to the atom bomb, you know, uh, it's a lot harder to quantify the, the effects of a character, of a fictional character. Uh, it's very easy to quantify the effects of an atomic bomb. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, I think that boy, I would like to hear boy, you know, I would, I would love to see what he uh, thought of Man of Steel, just going off of that, that he would, he would go to those two places uh, and, you know, a city destroying bomb or Superman. Uh, And in Man of Steel, it's hard to tell the difference. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I would love to to see what he has to, what he has to say. Man of Steel used a lot of his language too. Uh, in like that movie, I, there, there was a wasn't there like a trailer that used a straight quote from All Star? Uh, yes. Like I, I, the problem with Man of Steel is that uh, you've got Goyer and Snyder and those two guys. That that's not chocolate and peanut butter. Those flavors don't go great together. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I definitely think Snyder had read All Star and Goyer did not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then he tells this weird story about going to Comic-Con and finding the perfect Superman cosplayer. 
Oh my god! And then just, like, sort of stockholming him into being Superman for a few th- minutes for an interview. Okay, so I haven't read this book in a little while, so I'm I'm a little foggy on my recollections. Um, but holy shit, I forgot about that. That is the best sto- story in this in- that entire book. It's <laughs> it's maybe the most Grant Morrison anything uh, that could have ever happened. It's like, but yeah, like, apparently he will... convinced himself, probably just a bit high, that mm-hmm. this one guy, Christopher Reeve looking guy, was was Superman walking the earth. And, and then, then just sort of grabbed him and was like, we need to talk to Superman <laughs> about something. <laughs> and and so the guy like... was a, a clearly a big fan and got the character because he gave him the answers he needed, I suppose. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> and he was, he was so disappointed that he didn't actually fly away when they were done. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, because he was Grant Morrison and he's high. Mm-hmm. But I love the and I love the follow up, too, that one of his friends was like, oh, man, I wish I could have that happen. And instead, he meets a Bizarro, and they can't. Who, and they can't uh, goes get to a rid party of him. Them, gets drunk. They can't figure out how to get him away. So then they finally trick him by by telling him the opposite. It's like, well, a party really is only fun when you're alone. <laughs> I'm Bizarro, you're oh my, you're gosh. wrong. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, I do. Uh, I do really strongly agree with what he says about. Uh, Captain Marvel. Yes. Which is that... Which is the second uh, chapter. Which is the second chapter. And of course, Captain Marvel filters into his whole superheroes, our ideas, our magic uh, tautology. But, because um, Captain Marvel, I guess he's just Shazam now, is a, is a magic idea. <laughs> yeah. But uh, when he talks about how... Uh, uh, about the popularity of the character and how much sense that makes, that oh, yeah, no, Captain Marvel's so much better than Superman in that, for a child, Superman is a really cool guy, and I want to be like Superman, but there's nothing in the fiction that tells me I I can. Like, Superman's born to be born, he is Superman. Um, but Captain Marvel, all he has to do is say the magic word, and suddenly he, a kid like me, can become this amazing hero and have all sorts of crazy adventures. Um, and I think that that's a really astute observation of a character and how to connect to an audience. Um, and you know, it you know, Captain Marvel is kind of pandery and fanservice-y in those very early years. Oh yeah, I like, mean, like he he is so just like that, like that that that's a little bit formula that's like got some skeezy editor all over that. Yeah, that, but that setup. But at the same time, they've turned it around and done great things with that character oh sure and like he was always built to be a kid's character like i don't think that captain marvel is a better character for adults um See, i think I, that... I think he is because you put him on the justice league and all of a sudden you kind of have that sort of you you can develop a dialogue between modern comics and the silver age where it's like you know there's the scene in justice league unlimited where captain marvel quits and it's like you guys don't act like heroes anymore out and it's like um. That's true. That I guess that is true. Um, and I really like because he does bring justice. like a <laughs> he does bring a uh, a, a child sensibility, and I guess the Silver Age is nothing but a child sensibility uh, when you get down to it. Um, but I don't know. What I always loved about Captain Marvel is that like he's so he's such a concentrated children's uh, character. Like he's his best friend is a talking cartoon tiger. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Talkie Tawny is like the best. Uh, and so in Final Crisis, when uh, uh, when Grant Morrison, I guess he does do a lot with uh, uh, Captain Marvel there, but uh, Talkie Tawny fights like this other talking tiger guy and like rips him to shreds. It made me a little sad, but he was written very well. Like he's straightening his bow tie and all that sort of stuff. But I, I just, uh, I love the idea that um, that uh, 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 Captain Marvel and all those Fawcett uh, superheroes could exist in these really cartoon worlds, as opposed to uh, Marvel and to a lesser extent DC, which would still try to attempt to be in like a real world. Uh, and th- this is something that I guess uh, comes back to my longstanding issues with DC is that. Your universe has time travel and intelligent apes. Just embrace it. Go nuts. Oh, Be crazy. Yeah. Marvel always wanted to be grounded. DC was nuts. Be nuts, DC. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of why I like that Grant Morrison is writing the other half of the books, because it's like he is dedicated to the idea that nothing from the Gold and Silver Ages that everyone thought was stupid should actually go away. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, I'm bringing back Batman of... The Batman from around the world idea. I'm doing it. Can't stop me. Mm-hmm. Maybe not Chief Man of Bats, though. That's insensitive. Well, you know. Yeah. Chief Man of Bats. He's the uh, the Apache tracker of uh, DC Comics. Yeah. Um, hmm. That said, I... Uh, I certainly... Uh, 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 I don't know how we're going to quite address all the metaphysical aspects he goes into uh simply by virtue of we are not currently on any perception altering uh drug right. at least i'm not um, no I'm, I'm we aren't no i i i see your eyes you're blitzed out of your mind don't even like <laughs> pretend um but i can tell you're on you're you're on some downers so like you're you're you're, you're crashing low you're not you're, you're not flying high um i'm not flying so. high to talk about what grant morrison thinks of jack kirby <laughs> yeah exactly um no one's high enough to talk about what anyone thinks about Jack Kirby. Boy, that's true. Uh, although, when Grant Morrison is talking about Jack Kirby, you really want to read some Jack Kirby. Uh, oh, God. When he's talking like, about... Like, there's, like, a work cited th- thing at the back, and I'm like, I need to read all of these. Yeah, there's some good stuff. Cite- and, and when he's talking about uh, the Fourth World Omnibus and all of uh, all those crazy... Uh, uh, Jimmy Olsen books. Oh, well, well, the Jimmy Olsen books you just got to read because, goddammit, you, you need to see a man get new superpowers every week. Oh, and yeah. And still manage to hold down a job as a photographer. And he uses a lot of, uh, uh, like, he, he, he considers writers and artists, especially writers, uh, uh, to be sort of like these wandering uh, word priests discovering the long-hidden dormant truths of the universe. Uh but like when you get past that uh, and you, you just start listening to him talking about very good creators, I think that he does have some very interesting anecdotes about uh, the history of comics, about, you know, people like Jack Kirby, who uh, were geniuses, but uh, and when let loose, kind of go crazy and uh, uh, sort of those places that they go. Um, uh, I also think that it's interesting that uh sort of tracking his own fandom uh, does line up very well, very well with uh, uh, the trends in comics as they came out. Of course, he's British, so uh, it's not quite 
the same as uh, American comics, not until like the nineties when all of them start late, you know, late eighties, early nineties, when they all just started pouring over um, pretty easily. Like there was definitely a period, like when he was buying, like when he talks about buying Marvel, you know, he was getting like four or five issues of Spider-Man in a perfect bound format. Yeah, exactly. But you know, he was just getting a stack of Marvel every week. Um, oh yeah. Um, but I like when uh, uh, when he's getting into like the eighties and nineties. Um, I loved his chapter about image. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I love the first line of the next chapter after. <laughs> Please read it. Um, okay, I gotta find the image chapter now. But okay. uh, but like he, he described, like he actually says a lot of nice things about that early, those early days of image that we all kind of want to forget now. Oh yeah, the because, like the like, absolute the... stupid of young blood and all of that, and yeah. then. But he's actually being really nice. It's like, yeah, this was a time when you could go completely wild and do whatever you want and then make a million dollars and play Sega Genesis all day. Yeah, in a lot of ways, uh, early image feels like re- early comics. Um, I, since reading uh, uh, Super Gods, what I have done is read uh, Marvel, the un- uh, uh, Marvel Comics, The Untold True Story uh, by Sean Howe, which is a fantastic uh, history of Marvel Comics. Um, uh which oh holy shit! Uh, there are some stories in there to curdle your blood of uh, editors just not caring, like like editors and owners of Marvel Comics just not getting or caring about the books they publish. Um, it's a really interesting history, uh, and Glenn uh, 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 Glenn Whedon's, uh, uh, or no Glenn Whedon's, uh Superman: The Unauthorized Biography. Glenn Whedon is a uh, writer for NPR. He also shows up on their uh, uh, on their weekly podcast, uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour, which is a super great podcast. Um, I don't know if you listen to it, but it's uh, it sounds like a like what it is is just these four very intelligent, very witty, very fun people with very different uh, uh, spheres of interest getting together and talking about very disposable things. So they'll talk about uh, uh, reality television. They'll talk about theater. They'll talk about music. They'll talk about comics. And Glenn Weldon is exactly the kind of guy uh, that really gets Superman and that uh, can write a really funny, fun uh, uh, biography of this fictional character. And, um, and then uh, a couple other Superman things, uh, including, uh, oh, uh, also, uh, oh, what is it? The Tencent Plague? Yeah. Which is, you know, a, a classic and really talks about how crazy, uh, like, not only how crazy everybody got about comics, but kind of how crazy comics were. Um, yeah, like, on the one hand, yes, he was, like, the, the craze against comics was probably too far and the response from the code was even farther but it's like no there was some weird shit in the crime comics that probably should have not been for kids <laughs> oh yeah no and it's because it uh, uh uh you could just publish whatever and make money because you, you know you were having readerships in the ten you know in the millions in the tens of millions um and it was totally unregulated and uh in the 90s when they stepped away from uh those two publishers that still remained after after all of the uh, uh, trials and tribulations that the comics industry had endured, uh, everything had be- become so stolid and, and, and become so controlled that there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, inspiration anymore. So yeah, no, th- those in- you know, like there's a lot of really great old comics, 
but there's a lot of stupid stuff that was just published to make money, and that's kind of what Image was. But it's good to have stupid things that just make money sometimes. Like it's okay, it's okay to do that. Yeah, like like Michael Bay is generally a bad thing, but The Rock is a great movie. Uh, um, I will actually stand by pretty much everything Michael Bay has released, except for Transformers and Pearl Harbor. Are you talking about Transformers? On like the all, all of them, yeah. All yeah, okay. No, no, no. Like, that's that's correct. Um, <laughs> I'm just using The Rock as, as sort of an example. The, the one example. Uh, as the one example. But, like, like, it's good that there's a guy out there making... making uh, Burning a talk- lot of gasoline. <laughs> yeah, like, in a lot of ways, uh, Rob Liefeld... Kind of the the Jack Kirby of the '90s, maybe not in terms of like quality, but quality, in terms of just, just sheer energy and enthusiasm for the medium. Yeah, like Jack Kirby didn't really know how to draw feet either. Boy, that's true. He just he just drew like, everything he had, as he had a... like two rectangles at odd angles. <laughs> All he really drew were bricks. Yeah. He would just assemble bricks people and, and lines. buildings. Really, if Jack Kirby was around nowadays, he would just make Minecraft comics. Um. Everybody would be made out of four by four block grids, and he would be so happy. Um, and then he would just throw circles in there to fuck you up. Um, but yeah, the the first thing he says after the the image comic chapter is like, "Well, any like any cocaine high, you have to come down." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that is exactly that is exactly what sort of what happened when image imploded was mm-hmm. that." We had all this energy going everywhere, and then it's like, okay, now we might actually have to produce something worth buying. <laughs> yeah, but getting, uh, 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 but like, I love how he starts off so enthusiastic about comics. Like, he starts off as a kid, and he's like, oh my god, this this world is so amazing. I want to be a, a part of it. I want to connect to this. And then he gets tired of it. He's like, oh well, there's nothing, uh, uh, there's nothing interesting here. Then he gets high in college, and he's like, oh no, this is this is you know. I can peel apart the intellectual uh, 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 delicacy, you know, like Jim Steranko. Uh, 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 boy, I might be mixing this up with uh, Sean Howe's book now, where Jim Steranko is talking about getting high and walking around in uh, Manhattan Square, talking about uh, uh, or t- walking around Times Square uh, on what was it, heroin, uh, discussing Captain Marvel adventures. Um, yeah, I think that's the other book. I think that's the other book, but still, like. Like, he goes into, like, those really druggy, uh, really experimental uh, space comics and stuff like that. And he says, oh, no, now this was starting to turn into uh, something that I could quote to my professors in college and not get laughed at. And then he gets angry at them because they're not going far enough. And so him and all of his punk buddies uh, uh, make their punk comics. And he uh, starts doing, like, these really dark quasi-deconstructionist parodies of, uh, you know, the books of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, his chapter on uh, all those really uh, angry British superhero books is really, really interesting. Uh, talking about, uh, uh, oh, what, what is that? Flex Mentalo and Authority. and Yeah, Flex Mentalo, Authority. Invincible. Uh, oh, no, no, that's, 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 that's more recent stuff. That's I'm talking more about recent. Like, uh, uh, well, like, well, like Marvel Man, uh, which yeah. is uh, getting reprinted. Like, uh, 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 talking about Marvel Man and, uh, oh, who does that, uh, Major, the one in the gimp suit. Oh, yeah. Um, one sec, I can call that up real quick. Not planetary, but he, he's still, like, he loves, he loves planetary, too. 
Here martial we go. Law? Martial law. That That's it. it. Yeah. yeah, like him talking about martial law. Like that sounds like a really interesting comic. And to be fair, Kevin O'Neill's art is fantastic. Um, but then like there's also like this incredible childishness to all of that. And like once he, he, gets he recognizes that, his own sort of adolescent dumb about it. Like he even concludes that chapter. It's like, well, I got over the adolescent introversion. It was time to meet some girls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like at the end of all of that, you know, when he started producing like as a as a real creator, but like you, you got to look at that and go, yeah, but all we, you know, I guess we were saying something as opposed to saying nothing. But all we were saying was, fuck you, dad. And like at a certain point, you just have to get past that. And so uh, uh, and it's in those last chapters of the book, that he starts talking about really synthesizing all of these different aspects of uh, of comics that he's really loved into a cohesive whole. Yeah. And that. And in an interesting way, that's sort of where comics is now, where, you know, people, we've got enough editors and writers who like different parts of comics trying to hash out what comics are now. And so we're seeing bits of Silver Agey fun and some grit and, uh, you know, e even just um, some of the crime comics coming back. Like, have, have you read Happy? No, I haven't. Okay, it's a four-part miniseries that Morrison did where a... Um, where a drug addict, uh, drug addict hitman, and teams up with his estranged daughter's imaginary friend to take down um, just a bunch of soci sociopathic perverts. Oh my gosh! Like, like Happy is this little flying blue pony that helps him. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> it it's absolutely insane. But yeah, it, like it it's an interesting idea. Like if you're reading. Grant Morrison's Batman stuff now, which I think a lot of people are, because he writes all the Batman now. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting sort of window into how he views Batman. Oh, yeah. The answer is gay. The answer well, is very gay and like, kind of high. and Gay and high, but, you know, also completely unstoppable. Like, this is, you know, like only a child could think one man could stop crime. And because Bruce Wayne is a child, he does. <laughs> yeah. Um and I'm I'm sort of disappointed he didn't write about the killing joke in this because hearing that interview he did with uh, Kevin Smith about it it's like wow. Oh yeah, that's really interesting. Like I mean, he it's just him talking about a completely different comic by Alan Moore and it's like holy crap. Mm -hmm. No, that is that is the best. That is really now killing joke is the best Batman comic. <laughs> Mm -hmm. If you haven't listened to it, he, he starts talking about um, basically his impact. Kevin Smith sort of leads him with leads him into this question about his impact on Batman. And it's like how so many Batman, so much of what Batman is now is, um, you know, based on either this on Arkham and some of the stuff he's doing now and um, Killing Joke. It's like, well, Killing Joke is the last Batman story. And he's like, well, well what do you mean? Well, he kills the Joker at the end. And he, he actually breaks down the last page where it's like, yeah, the laughing stops in the last panel and it goes back because Batman killed the Joker. Oh, yeah. The editors wouldn't <laughs> let us say that outright. But oh, yeah, that's gosh. what happened. That, that's how he wrote it. Um, what was the most ludicrous thing you think uh, Grant Morrison says within the scope of this book? Um, I'll tell you what it is. Oh, you, you tell me then. Okay. It's when he's comparing Batman and Superman. Yes. And so he says, you know, Apollonian, sun god, Dionysian, pleasure demon. And he says, 
the rollings, you know, Batman is the stones to Superman's Beatles. And then he says the blur to Superman's Oasis. And, oh, God. And just for sheer Britishness and sheer dumbness, uh, comparing Oasis and Blur both to Superman and Batman and to the Rolling Stones and the Beatles is the craziest, silliest, dumbest thing within this within the story where he talks about beating angels. There is one point. There's there's a quote where he says, "The day after I saw Jesus, something really strange happened." Like in this book, that is easily the craziest thing he says. Yes, like the blur and o- blur and oasis. Blur and Oasis, those those seminal uh, 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 pop culture touchstones. God, nineties alt rock of England. Blur, like I had not even thought of Blur and Oasis until this book, and then I forgot <laughs> them until you reminded me. Oh yeah, no, I had to uh, I had to go to the Wikipedia page uh, about Britpop in order to remember which two bands he brought up. I knew one of them was the one that did the did the theme song to Eden of the East. And that was as far as I got. But the answer is Wonderwall and song number two. Yeah, Wonderwall and song two. Oh, like Grant Morrison. Like this, this book is ridiculously fun. Like if I would not recommend it as a, an authoritative history on oh. comics, but if you know enough about history to fill in the blanks that he's skipping because he's too busy fanboying over Jack Kirby and the editors at uh, Vertigo for keeping him in work for a decade, then yeah, don't definitely read this guy. Oh yeah, it's definitely the most objective books book on comics since, uh, well, Seduction of the Innocent, really. Yes. Um, you know what? There is too much object... There is too much value placed on objectivity. We are not writing science. Yeah, no. Subject all you want. There we go. It's the most objective book. Um, See, I thought so you were it's... just being ironic. <laughs> well... Um, but no, it's, it's, uh, it, it's totally just what this guy thinks. And there's no real illusion, uh, that he's trying to say that, uh, anybody else. I think that he's convinced that he's right. I think that there, at no point is he, well, uh, I think uh, he is right in as far as he writes half the books for DC and edits a lot more. He's kind of oh, a little sure. bit right. <laughs> like he has oh, made sure. himself right by virtue of his position within the company. Mm-hmm. But, um. You know, in a lot of ways, there's a lot similar with there's a uh, 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 there are many comparable aspects to Super Gods as to say Gurren Lagann, which is to say it's a uh, 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 one you know one's a fictional narrative, one is a uh, nonfiction uh, 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 memoir, but uh, both are sort of this. This uh, is everything uh, that is cool all at once. Let me show it to you with all the volume. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like using the structure of a timeline. Uh, they tell their, uh, like, ostensibly, you know, Super Gods is the story of, I don't know what you're going in, going and reading. Um, what do you think, what do you think you're going to get is like a history of superheroes. Yes. What is delivered is, or maybe you're going in expecting the story of Grant Morrison. I think for the purpose of what I'm going to say, to make, to make what I, to make this comparison work, I'm going to say you're going to, you read it for uh, uh, to read the story of Grant Morrison, what you well, get you, is a, I, at this point, I don't think you can understand Grant Morrison without understanding the history of comic books. Exactly. Um, with Gurren Lagann, you go in expecting to get the the story of these uh, of uh, uh, Simon and Kamina and Yoko, 
And what you get is a history of all giant robots. And it's just kind of woven into the fabric of it that when you, if you watch Gurren Lagann, you're going, uh, uh, and somebody like takes you aside and just points out first quarter, that's the seventies, second quarter, that's the eighties, third quarter, that's the nineties, uh, 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 fourth quarter. That is Gurren Lagann. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's this show. That's this show synthesizing everything that it's learned up to that point by everything that it's watched. And uh, like if there is if there is a prose uh, uh, accompaniment to it, it would be going down these weird little things, you know, talking about, oh, I uh, like I know. really want like a full like just like almost like a after every episode, we sit down with the writer and the director and maybe the, one of the story board guys. And we rotate that a little and just say, so what what made this episode this episode and have yeah, them talk about it for another 15 minutes? Yeah. Remember when Mazinger hit guys like that? Didn't that change all of our childhoods? You know, remember when uh, 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 we got, in, you know, when uh, Zeta Gundam hit and it uh, uh, it was like the most mature thing we had ever seen before. Uh, remember when uh, we we ourselves made Evangelion and suddenly the the enemy was the, unknowable. Um, and the entire industry sort of spun around to us to look at us. And we were like really confused and off put by that. Right, exactly. And that's that's in the narrative of that show. And it's 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 kind of the same structure, not the same like telling, but the same structure in Super Gods where he first says, here's this thing that I idolized, then this thing that kind of got out of control. Now it's this thing that I that I was a part of. Here's where I wish it would go. This is what I want. And will use as much as my uh, money making powers at DC to enforce mm -hmm. upon my writing staff. And it certainly goes to a similar point of aesthetic, which is this over-the-top embrasure of all the silly things, because it's the silly things that give it that give it its flavor. It's the silly things that set it apart from other things. Like, uh, um, like what what was the story arc of Superman that inspired the Superman versus the Elite movie? Was it was it also called Superman versus the Elite? Uh, it's called What's So Funny About Truth uh, uh, Truth Justice yeah, in the American Way. Anyway, that was it. That that was that storyline, and I'm like. And that is exactly, I think, like Grant Morrison wishes he had written that. I think because oh, it's yeah. like, because it is a bunch of '90s style antiheroes showing up in Metropolis and getting a lot of press buzz and praise from law enforcement, and you know everyone is on these guys' side, and they're just running around killing people. And eventually, it all breaks down as things get too crazy for them. And at the end of it, all Superman can say is, "Look, we live in a complex world of hype, of time travel and super intelligent apes." Your tough, no-nonsense solutions don't hold water here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is what he wants to say to DC. Yeah. And and you see it, because every time they try to be tough and no-nonsense, you get Cry for Justice. Oh, boy. Fuck that book. Yep. Or you get uh, Identity Crisis. Oh. Yeah. God. Yep. Countdown. That's... Ugh. Like, it, it never goes well for DC when they try to be real because <laughs> no. gotham is not a real place gotham is a metaphor mm -hmm. so i don't know man um but the book's good like th this book is really good i i'm glad you recommended it to me and i will tell people to read it now mm -hmm. unless we lose all our subscribers for my comments at the beginning <laughs> if you're still around you're clearly very devoted to me in which case you should go to uh gimmicktees.com from tinyurl.sbopod and uh, buy a t-shirt, because that helps me out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I like your 
I like your brazen style, Scott. I like it a lot. No, the, like I, the only reason they're a sponsor is because I actually like their t-shirt designs. Mm-hmm. Like they've got a medieval woodcut of a dude holding the Millennium Falcon. Oh, nice. Because it's Millennium Falconry. And I'm like, yes. That does not have any 8-bit shit on it. You are clearly winning at internet t-shirts. Good. Yes. Um, well, I gotta get, uh, 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 I think I get, I gotta, I gotta get rolling. So. Yeah. Well, this has been an episode. This, this, this has been an episode. It's been an interesting discussion. And, uh, if you have not read the book, none of this made any sense to you. Oh, I'm no. sorry. <laughs> well. But until next time. Until next time. Uh, I thought this smelled bad. On the outside. I Thought They Smelled Bad on the Outside is released under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, 3.0 international Creative Commons license. Please visit our website at sbopodcast.blogspot.com for more episodes as well as social media information. Thank you. that he tried that he had to fight a scorpion god <laughs> oh, <Well>. so... <coughs> and he wrote all of the invisibles to fight the scorpion god by self-inserting inserting himself uh, well i have that clip now so we can insert that somewhere oh there we go yes right. uh his ultimate magical spell was mary suing um the truest and purest form of Mary Suing, though. None of this... Uh, <laughs> it's true. Not, none of this trying to not be a Mary Sue by doing different things but still coming out of Mary Sue. The Granty Morris. Yeah, the Granty Morris. <laughs> <laughs>